as I wander out under the sky, how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor ordinary sinners like you. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm glad you're here. I just sang this song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. I wonder as I wander. And I don't know about you, but I am prone to wander. But I want us this Christmas to be captured by the wonder of this season. This season really is a season of mystery, of the mystical power of God, how we would step into humanity and be born among us. And we can get lost in all of it. We can get lost in the Christmas hoot nanny. We can get lost in the, uh, the stress of the season. In fact, one lady came to me after the last gathering and she says, I'm lost in the grief I experienced at Christmas for her mother passed away on Christmas Eve. And she says, this season's very tough for her, but this is what she said. But I'm gonna come and I'm gonna celebrate, even though it may be a tear-soaked celebration, I'm going to celebrate because of the mystery that God has come to dwell among us, come to change you and me. And the wonder of God is incredible. And the wondering of how God wants to dwell among us is, well, it's beyond profound. It's truly the mystical power of God. Throughout history, it's been so. The, uh, when the fruit crunched in the garden and the man and woman fell into sin, and God asked the most famous rhetorical question, where are you? 
God knew exactly where they were. The wandering souls of the fallen ones were captured by the wonder of the promise that God would provide them a kinsman redeemer. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to tell me the truth. How many of y'all remember sermons you hear? Like nobody. You know, you might remember some jokes I tell, right? Like what did one casket say to the other one? Is that you coughing? It's pretty bad. I'm sorry. I'm really not sorry. Somebody asked me how my bronchitis is doing. My bronchitis is doing quite well. Thank you. It's amazing how something that comes so quickly can linger so long, right? Some of you feel that way about your in-laws coming from the holiday. They come quickly and linger so long. Uh, Several years ago when I was in seminary, I really had a great experience at New Orleans Seminary that um, I served in an inner city church where I was the minister of music there. It was a church of about 35 people. And our pastor, Dr. Jimmy Dukes, he was a professor at the seminary teaching New Testament Greek. So we heard amazing messages every week. And that little church grew from 35 to about 150 in the, the two years that Tara and I were on staff there. But he brought in several famous preachers to preach uh, while he was there. In fact, one guy he brought in with Dr. J.D. Gray. And J.D. Gray was the pastor of First Baptist New Orleans. He was 9 million years old when he came to preach at our church. And my job was to make sure he got to the pulpit. We had a big old pulpit. And uh, my job was to make sure he got there and he got off from there when he was done. And he was feeble and I helped him. And he, he came and he grabbed onto the pulpit and he preached like a 20-year-old for an hour. And then he stopped and he returned back to his nine million old year self and I escorted him off the stage. It was amazing. One guy that preached, and I remember, the reason I say this because I remember this sermon. Now, I preach a lot of sermons. Heck, y'all, I can't remember the stuff I preach. I expect for you to remember it. But this one talk I remembered is by a guy named John Wilton, and he was from South Africa. There was something about a South African accent that makes everybody seem more intelligent. It didn't work the same way with a Southern accent in Canada, even though I wished it did. But I remember him talking about a Christmas message that really wasn't a Christmas message but a message I believe is a Christmas message. It is from John chapter one, what theologians call the prologue of John. You see in the, in the, the, the uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, there's a narrative of the birth, especially in Matthew and Luke, not so much in Mark. But in John, John, he's a pastor. Did y'all realize this? John didn't realize he was writing the Bible when he wrote this. He's probably doing a series of sermons on the deity of Christ. And God was breathing in him these words and he wrote them down. He didn't realize it was going to be this leather bound edition that we hold on to. And I want to say this to you and I want to make you mad, but I want you to listen to me. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the God who revealed himself through the Bible. God is superior and supreme and he reveals himself through his word, through the sacred text the infallible and errant word of God. We don't worship that. We worship King Jesus. Just like we don't worship a star in the sky at, at Christmas or, a, or a, a nativity set or a Christmas tree, we worship the Christ who was born to set us free. And he preached this message, John Wilton did, from this pastor John who pastored this church in Asia Minor. 
and he was declaring the deity of Christ and some things resonated so deeply within me because I'd grow up, grown up into a church that created great insecurity. And even there sitting in the seminary area and fulfilling God's call, I dealt with an insecurity and insignificance in my life. Are you like that at all? You realize you maybe not be good enough for God or smart enough for God or talented enough for God and why in the world would God want to mess with you anyway? Because you're a dumpster fire? And through this message, I found some hope, and I want to give that to you today because I want you to hear what Pastor John said and then what Pastor John Wilton said and then what God wants to say to you this morning about the fullness of Jesus. You see, our wondering souls beheld the wonder of God in flesh, the word of God dwelling among us, born as a baby in a no-name, no-nothing village, but come to reveal himself to you and me. And it changes us. And we behold his glory full of grace and truth, full of grace, full of truth. And it's Christmas. So it's a time to quit wandering around and be captured by the wonder of God in flesh dwelling among us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that will lead us into understanding of who you are and what you want for us. And God, what you want from us. And Lord, I realize even as I pray that, that you will not settle for anything less than our full devotion. You want all of us. So I pray, Father, we could take the scatterbrained thoughts and the compartmentalized life. We somehow can gather them together and present them to you, the Christ who was born to set us free. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for what you're going to say. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take your Take the Weekend With You notes out, and you might want to jot down a few things so you might remember something from a message that was spoken today. I want to remind you that online we provide for you resources. We do the three environments, your God time, the group time, and the gathering time. Now, the God time, this, this whole series, this whole month, we provided a Christmas devotional for you written by our own Libby Velasco. So I want you to go online, download that, enjoy that, and take spend time in reading. Tara told me uh, yesterday, she said, you know, if you read a chapter of Luke every day throughout December, you would, uh, you would end up reading all of Luke on Christmas Eve. Of course, now you're a day behind, so you're gonna have to read two chapters. But uh, it was kind of fascinating to me that it's 24 chapters. You can end and hear all about Jesus during the Christmas season. So I invite you to do that. Next January, we're gonna challenge you to read through Luke. January, February, March, we'll give you plenty of time and we're providing a resource for you and your God time to do just that. So, but let's look together. What was Pastor John saying and this pastor, Dr. John Wilton, who spoke all those 30-something years ago that resonated in my heart? What is the commonality there? And what is the connection for you today? And what does God want you to walk away with this morning? And at the conclusion, we're gonna celebrate communion together, a symbol of us belonging to King Jesus. And uh, if you're a believer in Christ, you're welcome at the table with us. You don't have to be a member here. We, we don't practice that as part of who we are. We invite anyone who's believed to come celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.
But let's look at this. Let's first of all, let's ponder what is being said here in this great theological discourse of John. Now, John was writing his gospel to refute the heresy that was in the world that day that Jesus really wasn't God. That he was a representative God. He was a metaphysical God. He really didn't have a body resurrection. He had a mystical resurrection. He had a spiritual but not a body resurrection. And John was writing to refute all that. The church, now get this. The church would argue about this for 500 years. Wow. Finally, after 500 years, they quit arguing about it and they agreed on it. Let's don't take that long this morning, okay? That's already been settled. But let's ponder what John is saying. Ponder what is said. In the beginning, the word already existed. John drove a stake in the ground about the deity of Christ right there. Before time was time, before there was any creation, Jesus was. Jesus was and is and will be. He is not the created one. Jesus did not come into existence at the pushing forth from his mother's womb or in the conception found by the Holy Spirit in Nazareth. Jesus existed before anything existed because he's the Godhead, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the three dwelling in perfect unity, the one God expressed in three persons. The Lord our God is one. And he sequestered himself. I read one theologian who said this, it was fully the work of God, not of man, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin into a broken world. The God who was and is and shall be confined himself into humanity. In the beginning, the word already existed. Y'all get that? John was saying. And so when we worship Jesus, we don't worship some watered down version or some representative. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, some cults put in their translation, the word was a God. Let me tell you why they say it was a God, because they want you to believe that you can be a God too. Wrong. You ain't going to be no God. You ain't smart enough. You can't be everywhere at one time. You're not going to get your plan on planet one day to be God. You would make a lousy God. Turn to your neighbor and look at them in the eye and say, you would make a lousy God. Some of y'all that felt really good. Some of y'all just got in trouble with mama. Good luck. And he existed in the beginning worth God. Now this is the word of God revealed in history. Now John was writing to two audiences and I want to speak to you on those two behalfs. Here's the first audience. He's writing to the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people believed that God would speak and it came to being. It's called ex nihilo. God spoke from nothing and things came into being. That what God said he would do and when he spoke it, it would be. God stepped out and he spoke and the world came to being. He spoke and the, the moon lit up the night sky. The stars were slung across the universe. He spoke, and there was day and night. He spoke, and waters covered the earth. He spoke, and dry land emerged. He spoke, and animals began to flourish. He spoke, and man breathed in him, became a living being with a soul. He spoke, and the essence of the words meant that once words were spoken, they could never be retracted. 
And throughout Hebrew history, you see the word of God being manifest in the covenant promises of God. God would make a promise, he would speak the promise, and the promise would come to be. And when John was saying this, the Hebrew people went, oh. And it was refined and defined in the covenants of God. When Adam and the woman fell in sin, God spoke a covenant promise called the Edemic Covenant. He said, and I'm going to send a kinsman redeemer to you. And the first baby was born, and Eve said, he's here, the one who'll redeem us. And no, it wasn't him. He was the first murderer. But God made a promise to them. And then he made a promise to Noah. When he flooded the earth with water, he sent the rainbow promise. He said, I'm never going to send a cataclysmic flood again. And people argue about the, the truth of the flood. It didn't happen. And geologists can't refute the evidence. It's obvious that the world was covered with water at some point. And God made a promise. I'm never going to do that again. So anytime it rains, you see a rainbow, you're reminded of God's promise. It's called the Noahic Covenant. That God took an old man, an old man, a 99-year-old man with an old wife, a 90-year-old wife. He said, y'all don't have any kids, but I will give you a kid. I will give you a son. And that son, through, through your descendants, Abraham, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And y'all, I don't know about you, but it takes a miracle of God for an old man and an old woman to be able to do what it takes to get a baby born into this world. And the older I get, the more I understand that. It's the work of God. And God moved. And it's called the Abrahamic covenant. And then through the course of time, slavery became the reality of the Hebrew children. And God picked a man named Moses. And he said, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then God was getting the Egyptian out of the Hebrew children. And he gave them the promise of the law. And he said, live by this standard because every one of us, <coughs> excuse me, every one of us need a standard in which to live by. And it's called the Mosaic covenant. And we can't keep it. Because we're broken and we're flawed and we're rebellious by nature. It's called sin. And then through the course of time, King David came a man after God's own heart. I want to tell you all something. Compared to David, I am the pick of the litter. David was a mess. David met a, never met a woman he didn't like. If you all know what I mean. David had a huge ego, but he also had a huge heart for God. And God promised David, even though he was a dumpster fire, he said, through you, through your lineage, there'll be an heir to your throne sitting on the throne of Israel and on the world forever and ever and ever. And you trace the lineage of Jesus to David. You also trace the lineage of Jesus to uh, Rahab the harlot and to Tamar, who was involved in an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. What Jesus is saying is, I can take a mess and make a message. Hmm. But all those covenant promises of God, the Hebrew listeners would listen to, were fulfilled in the covenant promise of God, King Jesus. History had spoken, the word became flesh. To the Greeks, the word was knowledge or logic. You see, they worshiped intellect. And when they heard the word, they heard the logos, the knowledge of God. 
the intellect of God. And they prided themselves by what they knew. And let me tell you something, y'all. You can know about God and not follow him. You see, God doesn't want a knowledge that leads to intellectualism. God wants a knowledge that leads to devotion and following. The Greek word is gnosos, or to know. To know. And to know means, get this, an intimate intertwining of heart and soul. That's how God wants to know you. And the Greek listeners would listen to this. And this was the revelation of God through Jesus. The author of Hebrews said it this way. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these days, he's spoken to us through the son. That he was the revealing of God. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Thomas Aquinas, who was a a monk in the Middle Ages who did a lot of work on settling the deity of Christ in the 500-year argument, this is what he said. By taking flesh, God did not lessen his majesty and in consequence did not lessen the reason for reverence of him. But on the contrary, inasmuch as he wished to draw near to us by taking flesh, he greatly drew us to know him. Come and see. Come and see. I think about that revelation and it's so much like God to do this. When Joseph in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis, he was carried off into slavery and and then he was elevated to become one of the right hand of, of Egypt, actually the second in command of the greatest world, the greatest nation in the world. And his brothers came and they didn't recognize him. And those brothers had sold him into slavery and Joseph could have got him, could have got him good, but he didn't. And this is what he did. He said, guys, I'm, I'm one of you. He opened his robes and said, see, I'm one of you. And literally this is what God did. He opened his robes of deity to reveal to you in humanity that he is all the deity that you'll ever need. God didn't come for you to be acquainted. God came that you would be converted. That's why he's come. And I'm caught up in the majesty. My heart is prone to wonder but my heart needs to be captured by the wonder of the God who's shown himself to me. And he says this to me, he said, I will be your light and I will be your life. And the word gave life to everything that was created and he brought life and this, his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Again, John was speaking in symbolic power about light. To the ancient people, they knew that light was symbolic. It was a symbol symbol of good and evil. That good was revealed in light and evil was revealed in dark. I don't know about you, but one of the most intimidating things I could do is walk into a dark room. I I watched some of you today as you kind of came late and the room was dark and you're kind of like, ooh, I don't know what to do. You kind of stood in the back. You know, have it be my way. 
we would have windows all over here so that you could see the beauty of the hill country. Maybe you're being captured by nature would keep you from napping in my pontification. But God loves light and he loves light and he wants to be exposed. The only people that my mama told me this, she said, Scott, the only person likes a dark room is the devil. Of course, every time I went by a bar of honky tonk, I looked for him. I think he's in there. It's too dark to see. And I'll tell y'all something in the dark, you cannot see what is true. I'm a good looking man in the dark y'all. But light reveals truth and light reveals the reality of who we are. And God says, I want to shine my light on you. It was also the, the symbol of knowledge or of ignorance. God wants you to be enlightened, not dim-witted. Y'all see the, the emojis of, of a, someone having an idea. There's a light bulb appears before their, their, their minds have been lit up. They've been enlightened. Now I know in in some vernacular, to be lit means to be stoned on pot, but we don't want you to be lit. We want you to be enlightened. A little joke there, not very well received. But anyway, what did people, how did people show that before there was electricity? Was it like a candle or an oil lamp that appeared before your head? But it's the, the, the implication of, of knowing and of knowledge, but it's also the implication for the battle of your soul, for the rages within you, your dark heart that needs the light of Jesus to shine on it and illuminate it. And then my illuminated heart then becomes a beacon of hope to you. Because if God can enlighten me and save me, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. And this enlightened heart is an enlightened mind and is an enlightened soul and it's an enlightened strength. We say around here, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. And I will say this, we're not about growing a great church around here. That's God's business. We're, we're out about being a healthy church. This church will grow to the size God wants it to grow. Did y'all realize that? So don't complain one way or the other. That's what God does. But I know this, healthy things grow. So a great commandment, the great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission will launch a great cause and it's called the church. And I thought about that, that the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is really fulfilled in the great commission where it says go into the world and preach the gospel, teaching to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them and I'm with you always till the end of the earth. Now I realize that if I'm living out the commandment of God to love God and love people, then I can't help but live out the commission of God to go and tell the world. And this is the juxtaposition that Jesus came to say, I'm going to show you an aligned heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'll show you how to love your neighbor so you can go and do the same. Because everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. Jesus says, and this is the thing that Dr. John Wilton spoke that so captured my mind because I needed to hear this. And maybe you do too. He will accept you. He will accept you. But all who believed in him and accepted him, how many's all? How many's all? All is all, y'all. All of y'all. 
Saul, who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. In actuality, the, the word he gave the right is really not the full power of the Greek word there. The Greek word really says he gave the authority. He gave the authority. If I took and reached in my pocket and grabbed out my truck keys and I tossed them to Joe, I would give him the authority to drive my truck. He's got permission to drive my truck because he has the keys. Also, in tossing my keys, I'd give him the key to my house. He'd have the authority to go into my house and battle the Christmas suit nanny that's scheduled and scattered about because we're inviting 700 of our closest friends to come to our house. And uh, now not only is Home Depot happy with us, Hobby Lobby is happy with us. And Michael's is happy with us. And Sam's is happy with us. And Costco is happy with us. And Ace Hardware is happy with us. And H-E-B is happy with us. But I've given you the authority. And I love that, that by believing and accepting I've been given the authority to become a child, the right. They are reborn. Now, you know, later in John, he would go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would come talk to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you must be born again. And Nicodemus go, what you talking about? How can you go back into your mother and be born again? That's creepy, Jesus. That's creepy. I started doing a series of called the creepy sayings of Jesus. That's creepy. Jesus said, no, 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 you're missing the point, Nick. Come on, dude. This is a spiritual birth, not birth with physical birth resulting from human passion, the pleasure of conception, or the pain of childbirth, but a birth that comes from God. You've been given the authority to be born again by believing and accepting, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that you will be saved, and you are. Why? Because God has come to reveal himself to you. It's the wonder of salvation. And it's the permanency of salvation. John later would say this, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. I will never cast them out. Some of you are parents of adult children who once believed when they were children, you saw them believe, you saw them confess, you saw them make decisions, and now they say they don't believe. You know what? Bull. Bull. Because Jesus says, I don't care what you say or what you do, I got you. It's called the security of the believer. And some of you mamas are holding on to Jesus because your kids are acting like an idiot. Some of your daddies are doing the same. But here's the deal. God loves idiots. I'm an example. And I love that about him. It's the mystery of how God saves us from our sins. It makes no sense that God would love a rebellious people so much. It's the authority to respond to his offer. He says, come and see. Come and get close. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only begotten 
of the Father, of the one and only Son of God. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only, the unique one, the one and only. We could see him, but not just see him, we can know him. Not just hear it intellectually, but believe it with every capacity of who we are. Knowing that Jesus is full of unfailing love and his faithfulness. And there's a big difference between what I see and what I know. What I intellectually understand and what I live out as a fact of me knowing. And when I hear that God calls this wondering heart to him, I get caught up in the wonder of his response and then my response in return. No one has seen God but the unique one who is God himself. He's near to the Father's heart. He's revealed him to us. And I wrote this and I want to read this for you and it'll be up on the screen because I didn't want to miss this. Jesus' life was the wonder of God on display. He spoke and bodies were healed and lives transformed. The dead were raised and sins were forgiven. He loved and taught us how to love in return. He spoke about peace and comfort and a relationship with God that was broken in the garden of sin so long ago. And now he speaks to you. Now he speaks to you. Come to me and I will give you life. I'll give you nothing but life. So stop your wandering and come home and be captured by the wonder of Jesus. Through the years, many have heard and responded. And because they've responded, good has been done. Slaves have been set free. Children have found homes. Humanity has been rescued. And the wonder of Jesus has motivated greatness and compelled compassion. He speaks today. And Christmas is the season when we tune our ears to hear a peace and comfort, to speak words of compassion that will fuel acts of kindness. God has come to rescue. He's come to rescue me. He's come to save. And I am captured by his wonder, and I pray you are as well. We sing a peace, we declare joy to the world. Let's let this wonder fill our hearts. It's Christmas. I no longer want to wonder as I wander. I want to come home to King Jesus.